But let's open our Bibles to James chapter 5. James chapter 5. Beginning in verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it, until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. Lord, once again, we come to you with the word open before us and ask for understanding that you would illuminate our hearts, Lord, and that you would strengthen us to take these words and live by them. In your name we ask this, amen. Well, two words really drive these verses, and they kind of leap out at you because of how James repeats them. They are the words patience and steadfastness. Now, patience is a word that means to suffer long. In relationships with people, to be patient with a person means to have a long fuse. It's another way of saying be slow to anger or bear with one another. So it's this, it's this not being, becoming upset or angry quickly. It is enduring with someone, being patient, having a long fuse. But in these verses, the word is used in relationship to suffering, circumstances, and really is, it means keep suffering and don't quit. It's something like elastic in this case. Instead of a long fuse, we might say be super stretchable as pressure as difficulties mount and pull at you and fill you up, continue to stretch, continue to expand, don't break. Be patient. It is a partner word with the other word here in verse 11, steadfast, steadfastness, endure. We've seen this word already in James chapter one. In fact, in a way, James is coming back to what he started with in chapter one, here at the end of the letter in chapter five. This word means to bear up under a weight, to endure. So in chapter one, James links this steadfastness, if you'll remember, to trials and joy. Here in chapter five, at the end of the letter, he links steadfastness, endurance, to patience and suffering. But the larger truth, the larger theme behind this call to patience, behind this call to steadfastness, is found in verse 7, the Lord's coming. The Lord's coming. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Now remember, James has just given three rebukes to pride. 
He's just confronted three examples of how we live in pride, presumptuously, judgmentally. And then in chapter 5, verses 1 through 6, he confronts, or I should say really denounces, cries out against the pride that is behind the oppression of the poor by those who have wealth and power. He now comforts the sufferers. So he has confronted the oppressors, and now he comforts the sufferers. He warned the wealthy oppressors with reminders of the day of judgment, and now he comforts the sufferers with reminders of the day of salvation. They are the same day, that day of judgment and salvation, that day of retribution and reward. So the coming of the Lord then is a word that some of you might be familiar with. It's a word parousia, which really means presence, presence. And it was used most of the time to identify the arrival of a king or a dignitary. In the very early days of the church, it became a technical term for the coming of Christ, the appearance of Christ, what we call the second coming or the return of Christ. So the coming of the Lord then describes Jesus' physical presence on the earth once again. It is his presence that we will no longer see through the eyes of the heart or the eyes of faith, but we will actually behold unveiled before us with our own eyes. Now, just a word of caution. When it comes to the end times, future events, and what the Bible has to say prophetically about the end of the world and judgment and when Jesus comes, some of us tend toward one of two extremes. On the one hand, there are some who overemphasize these doctrines and become preoccupied with them. The end times and the prophetic elements of the New Testament, and there are many, become the grid through which they see everything and interpret everything. On the other hand, there are many who neglect the doctrines of the end times as secondary doctrines, things that don't matter. And a lot of times that's a reaction to divisions or factions that can form around our understanding of the scriptures and our interpretation of the New Testament, what we understand it to say about the end times. And so because that can become divisive and because we'll say it's not core to the gospel, it becomes neglected. But the New Testament is filled with promises of Jesus' return. It is filled with promises of his appearance to sustain us in this age, to sustain us in this life. For example, Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. But our citizenship 
is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We're to be waiting. We're waiting for that. Is that a bad preoccupation? No. The vision of the New Testament is eternal. It looks at eternity. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 and following. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. It is now training us to renounce ungodliness. And the motive, the driving force behind this controlled, upright, and godly living in this present age is the waiting of the appearing of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3? Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You almost get the feeling that you can't live in a godly, upright, self-controlled, pure way unless you fix your eyes on the promise of Jesus' return. So the New Testament is filled with promises of future deliverance, future reward, future glory, promises that sustain us and empower us now. James is pointing to the same confidence in relation to being patient in suffering. James points us to four banners of hope. I'm calling them banners. Like banners that in the midst of a battle, someone who is winning the field plants a banner on the ridge. And James is planting these banners for us so that we will lift our eyes up out of the suffering, out of the hardships, and fix our eyes on these banners of promise. He gives us four banners of hope that we can look to so that we will patiently endure until the Lord returns. The first banner, look to the certainty of the Lord's return. Look to the certainty of the Lord's return, verse 7. James' example of patience, of this elastic, this stretching, 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 long endurance is the farmer. The farmer. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. Notice the farmer 
is waiting for the rains, but not really the rains. He's waiting for the precious fruit. It's precious. He treasures it because he's invested so much in sowing the seed. He needs it so much so that he can feed his family, so he can sustain life. The seed has been sown, and now it only needs water. And when it receives the early and the late rains, it will certainly bear a crop. It will certainly bear a crop. Now, these early and late rains were the rains of early spring and then rains again in late autumn that were crucial for crops to grow in the Near East. But James is not just talking agriculture here. He's talking Old Testament. He's talking about covenant. And here's what I mean. In the Old Testament, the coming of the rains was a sign of God's blessing on Israel because Israel was keeping the covenant. For example, in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 14, the Lord through Moses promises the people that if they are keeping the covenant, if they're obeying the Lord, then I will send rain on your land in its season, both autumn and spring rains. That's a promise of ongoing faithfulness and prosperity to the people of God as they keep his covenant. As an act of judgment on breaking the covenant, on disobedience, the Lord would withhold rains at times, which would cause a drought. We see examples of this. Especially, I would point you to the book of 1 Kings in the days of Elijah, where the Lord is withholding rain because of the nation's idolatry. But what's really significant here is that every time early and late rains are mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures, it is in the context of the Lord's faithfulness. Like Joel chapter 2 verse 23, So rejoice, O sons of Zion, and be glad in the Lord your God, for he has given you the early rain for your vindication And he has poured down for you the rain, the early and latter rain, as before. So rejoice. Rejoice because God is faithful. And his faithfulness is proven by the coming of the rains in their seasons. Listen, I know it feels long sometimes. I know it gets hard. It's hard now feels like a long time since you sowed the seeds of faith in your Lord. Some of you have fought long fights of faith. And you are longing for that harvest. But the Lord's return is not in question. It is certain. It is promised just as this sure cycle of the rains and just as sure as the land's production, so is God's faithfulness and so is the certainty of Christ's appearance, his coming. So be like the farmer. You've sowed the seeds of faith. 
you are waiting, we must continue to stretch. We must continue to wait, to be patient like the farmer. Secondly, look to the nearness of the Lord's return. So the first banner, look to the certainty of the Lord's return. The second banner is look to the nearness of the Lord's return. Verse eight, you also be patient. Just like the farmer, you keep stretching. Just like he waits for the reward, you wait for your redemption. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Oh, this establish your hearts is like saying, steal yourselves. Strengthen your knees. Brace yourself. Summon courage. Because you know he is faithful, and because you know he is certainly coming, and his appearance is at hand. Now, I want to talk about this phrase for a second. At hand. It normally means something like close. It can be talking about physical closeness, like in Acts chapter 9, where it says that Saul was near Damascus, close to Damascus. Or in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5, where it says, the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near, meaning that he is close to us. He is intimately involved in the circumstances of your life and my life. But it is also used in significant ways to help us understand God's schedule for salvation and the resolution of history. That's how James is using it here. Jesus used it this way when he announced the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's on schedule and it is now close. It is at hand. But James isn't designating, listen, he's not designating a, an amount of time. He is saying that Jesus' return is the next thing to happen in God's plan. It's the next thing to happen in the program. In other words, Jesus' appearing is imminent. It could happen at any moment. Let me show you another time the word is used this way in the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3. As John introduces this prophetic work, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Same word. The time is at hand. In other words, the words of this prophecy are the next things to happen in the program. So because the Lord's coming is at hand, because it is the next event, it is the next thing to take place in the program, and because it could happen at any moment, be patient, stretch, and strengthen yourself, establish your hearts. But at the same time, while we are waiting we will be vulnerable to temptation. Especially the temptation to grumble against each other, verse 9. And I believe this is why James goes there. 
Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. So this grumbling against one another is voicing dissatisfaction and criticism about each other, to each other, or to that other person themselves. And the idea here is that exercising patience for the Lord's return while undergoing mistreatment from the world will put a strain on the Christian community. It will put a strain on the church. And the temptation will be to gripe at each other, to criticize one another, to blame each other. Now, I know that the pandemic is not persecution from the world, okay? We are currently enduring a great trial, though. It is suffering in many ways. And the strain and the conflict that we experience as the Lord's churches is a good example of what this grumbling against one another looks like. It is this complaining to one another about each other, about the differences, different perspectives, different convictions. James says, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't consume each other. That displeases God, and it will bring judgment, which I have to understand here would be disapproval, loss of reward. We will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This is not punishment or condemnation in Christ. There is no condemnation, Romans 8 verse 1. But there is still a judgment, an evaluation that every believer will undergo. In fact, James says, wake up. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. You want to talk about imminent. You want to talk about at hand. James adds this different image to say the same thing. Here he presents God as a judge, or Jesus really, as a judge about to enter the courtroom. It is not that he's on his way to the courtroom. It is not that he is approaching the courtroom. It is that his hand is on the doorknob and all he has to do is pop the door open. That is a picture of imminence. That it can happen at any moment. There is mystery there for us, of course, because we don't know how long the judge will wait just outside the door. We don't know how long this age will be, but his return is at hand. His hand is on the doorknob. It is the next thing to take place. So James says, don't give in. Strengthen your hearts. Don't, don't criticize and grumble against each other. The Lord will return, and that return is imminent at any moment. So look to that banner. Not just the certainty of his coming, but the nearness of his coming. 
It's close. It is always at hand. Thirdly, look to the heralds of the Lord's return. Look to the heralds of the Lord's return. Verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. James doesn't mention any of the prophets by name, but maybe he was thinking of the prophet Jeremiah, who suffered so much at the hands of not only Israel's enemies, but also his own people for speaking the truth. Or maybe... James has in mind Isaiah, whom tradition says was sawn in two. Hebrews 11 verse 37 makes reference to this. Maybe he's thinking of Elijah, who was constantly harassed and hunted by Jezebel and Ahab. Maybe he's thinking of John the Baptist, who was the last and the greatest of the Old Testament prophets who was imprisoned and then beheaded. On the whole, the prophets were not liked, nor were they appreciated. And the Lord's calling of a prophet was often sacrificial and painful in and of itself, apart from the reactions of his audience. They were hated and rejected And by their calling, they were often subjected to great hardship. Suffering was just an occupational hazard if you were a prophet. James isn't saying that all of the prophets specifically dealt with the Lord's return. To us, his second coming, from their perspective, it was all one event. They were looking for a savior. They were looking for the Messiah. And they saw it all as one Event. That's why when Jesus comes, his disciples expect him to take up a throne, to establish a rule. They didn't understand that there were these different phases in God's program. But the prophet's message as a whole heralded God's plan, his program of ultimate judgment and salvation. They often proclaimed a plan and a schedule of events that they really didn't understand themselves, and more importantly, they never saw fulfilled. That's why it was faith. That's why when we read Old Testament prophecies, we see in them very immediate applications for the people of Israel to whom they're speaking, but embedded in them are all of these references to things that transcend the actual circumstances of the people of Israel. It's why the New Testament writers pick up things from the Old Testament prophets and say, now it's being fulfilled. It was actually pointing forward to this. They often proclaimed a plan and a schedule of events that they didn't understand, that they never saw fulfilled, but they spoke in the name of the Lord anyway. They spoke faithfully while waiting patiently and suffering greatly. That's what James wants us to see. 
The prophets are examples for us to embrace and how to patiently endure. Lord Jesus even said in Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, the very final beatitude, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It's a pretty good company. You can be patient. Now, see, he's given the farmer. Now he's given the prophets. And the difference is, in the first illustration, the farmer isn't presented as suffering necessarily. It's just his patience. It's his waiting and waiting and waiting on God's faithfulness. But here it intensifies. This is patience in suffering. Look to their example. Look to the heralds of the Lord's return. Lastly, the final banner, look to the outcome of the Lord's return. The outcome of the Lord's return. Verse 11, behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Blessed, favored, even rewarded. We consider rewarded, favored by God, those who remained steadfast. And the example for James, Job. Job, you have heard of the steadfastness of Job. What greater example of endurance could there be than Job? Because he was righteous, because his life pleased God, he lost all his family, all of his earthly possessions, and even his own personal well-being, all at the hand of Satan by the direction of God for the purposes of God. And maybe never even understood that. But it's not just Job's steadfastness that's on display. It is the purpose of the Lord how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. In other words, this is the end purpose. When he says the purpose of the Lord, he means the outcome or the goal. The goal in allowing the suffering in Job's life. What was God's goal in that? What was his purpose? If you know about Job's great suffering and you know about Job's steadfastness, then you must also know the end of the story that the Lord restored Job. He rewarded him for his faithfulness. And that's what James wants us to see in Job, that there was purpose, there was a goal. And so there is for us. See, for Job, the tables were turned from suffering to reward, from despair to deliverance. And as with Job, so one day the Lord will turn the tables for us. The outcome of the suffering in this life is not suffering. That's good news, isn't it? It is victory. It is vindication. It is approval. It's reward. I'm so I'm so grateful God didn't say, just go run. Don't worry, I'll let you know when you get to the end. Just keep running. 
with no finish line, with no end in sight. No, God promises. He gives us promises of reward, victory, blessing. As James said back in chapter 1, verse 12, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So look to the outcome. Look to the outcome. All of this is founded on God's character. The outcome of the Lord's dealings with Job show that he is compassionate and merciful. And James is saying in the same way, you saw the outcome for Job's faithfulness. God is still compassionate and merciful. That is still his goal. That is still his purpose for what we are enduring. Compassion and mercy. So despite how bad it might get, and it might get worse. Sorry, that's not a feel-good message, is it? But it might get worse. But despite how bad it might get, how far we have to stretch, how long it might take, James assures us of this, the Lord's person remains unchanged. The Lord's purpose remains unchanged. And the compassion and the mercy that he showed at the cross continues to direct his purposes for us until he returns, until he comes again. And the outcome is not judgment. It is mercy. It is mercy and compassion. So listen, we must be patient in suffering. Let's cast our eyes to these banners that James plants for us along the ridgeline. We must look to the certainty of Jesus' coming, the nearness of it. We must look to the heralds, the examples of the prophets, and we must look to the outcome of his return. Just reward, mercy, glory. Let's pray. Lord, we long to be faithful. We know that it is beyond our power to endure, to, to stretch, to be patient in suffering. We greatly need your grace, your sustaining grace. Lord, you have planted these banners for us, not only here in James chapter 5, but Lord, all over the word, all over the scriptures, you have planted for us promises to sustain us in this age. We don't know when it will end. Lord, we don't know when you are returning, but we long for it. We long for your righteousness to be established in the earth. And we know that your righteousness is perfect, complete and whole. Lord, thank you for the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who is at work in transforming us. 
We cast all of our hope on these promises. Amen.